It's a 22-point substantive email. Now, Hunter Biden doesn't write 22-point substantive emails. Are you sure about that, Ted Cruz? Because you're wrong about pretty much everything. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Why stop now? I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. <sighs> I am... From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WMHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis-St. Paul's AM950KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Burden Square Radio, Detour Talk, and other fine affiliates blanketing. Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. Says me from bradblog.com, where we are now in our 20th year of troublemaking and muckraking. Thank you very much for joining us today. And before I forget, at the end of today's program, just after uh, Desi's latest Green News report, yep. uh, we've got a special, well, I don't know if special is the right word for it, but <laughs> An important uh, programming scheduling announcement for you today. Don't worry, it's nothing horrible, but I wanted to give you a heads up for that. If you stick around for nothing else, stick around for that. <laughs> uh, so it's uh, sort of been uh, GOP debunking week on the broadcast over the past few days this week as Republicans get down to their... Silly business in the U.S. House now that they have a slim majority and um, are they where they get to head up committees and decide what to investigate. Uh, so why stop now with their silly business in the U.S. House? And why stop now with having to counter the Republican disinformation? Hi, Desi Doyen. Hi. Uh, now, some of you uh, might have been under the impression that because Republicans ran in last year's midterms on the idea that crime was rampant across the U.S. and inflation was just so high and gas prices were astronomical, supply chain issues were crippling the economy. We heard that over and over again from Republicans. So you might have thought that when they took over the House that they might actually focus on legislation that might try to deal with things like crime or inflation or the supply chain or the cost of gas. Silly you. Uh, although Desi Doyen, by the way, will have a few thoughts on the cost of gas in her Green News report yep. later this hour. You'll be shocked to learn who is causing it, who's causing <laughs> that spike in gas prices. Hint, it is not Joe Biden and the Democrats. Uh, 
But instead of holding hearings on inflation or gas prices or crime or the supply chain, as we've been uh, detailing for the past several days on this program, Republicans in Congress seem to be focused on... Well, some classified documents that Joe Biden's aides found at one of his old offices and at his home in Wilmington, Delaware, before they promptly contacted the National Archives and the Department of Justice and returned the documents. That, by way of contrast, for example, with the former president, Donald Trump, who actually stole thousands of pages of classified and other documents when he left office, hid them from federal officials, refused to return them to the National Archives when they asked nicely for about nine months, refused to return them to the DOJ when he was subpoenaed for them before uh, they finally had to be retrieved via a federal, federally authorized search warrant from a judge finding probable cause of several federal felonies underway at Trump's Mar-a-Lago with those documents. And even then, after the search and seizure of hundreds of documents, federal officials still find that dozens of classified documents appear to be missing to this day since they also found about 40 empty classified document folders at Trump's house with without the documents in them. But with Republicans in charge of the U.S. House now, they seem to be concerned only with Joe Biden's documents, and they appear to be using the excuse that, while well, some documents were found at Biden's Delaware residence, uh, his son, his son, Hunter Biden, also had access to that house. And so the story seems to go. Hunter might have sold them to the Chinese Communist Party or some such. Now, uh, don't forget, an actual Chinese Communist spy was arrested, was found to have been uh, hanging out at Mar-a-Lago some time ago. But no, they're concerned about what happened at, uh, at Joe Biden's house. We shared a ridiculous clip from the Republicans' new head of the powerful House Oversight Committee, Kentucky Congressman James Comer, who was on CNN on Sunday explaining why his committee would be holding investigations into influence peddling by Joe Biden and his family, despite the fact that he admitted on the show they so far have zero actual evidence of any such influence peddling by the Bidens. But not, they would not, by any stretch of the imagination in that committee, there is no way they would be looking into the mountain of actual evidence regarding influence peddling by Donald Trump and his family, even though they are known to have taken in millions of dollars from American and foreign companies, as well as foreign countries via business deals and at his D.C. hotel during his actual presidency, and uh, that his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who worked with his wife, Ivanka, at the White House, Trump's daughter, as top advisors in the White House, even though Jared accepted two billion dollars, billion with a B, from Saudi Arabia's Prince Mohammed bin Salman just months after leaving the White House. But nothing to see there. 
Comer appeared to uh, tell CNN's Pamela Brown on Sunday, uh, who had pressed him on these matters, as we shared with you on the program yesterday, um, Brown pressed Comer as to why he was interested in Joe Biden's documents, but not Trump's many more and stolen documents and how any of that had to do with influence peddling. Comer made this remark in response about a classified document that he claims was found on Hunter Biden's supposedly abandoned laptop. Listen closely. But do you have evidence of the classified document influence peddling from Biden? It sounds like you don't. You're looking into it, but why wouldn't you look into it in the Are same way? Into it. There's one right. email that's been identified that is suspicious that we want to look into. We want to make sure that there's one email that was on Hunter Biden's laptop wasn't one of the of the classified documents. So I think there's ample reason to be concerned. Mm, sounds bad. One email that has been identified as suspicious, suspicious that they want to make sure was not one of the classified documents that was found at Joe Biden's house, uh, presumably at his his residence, uh, giving them ample reason to be concerned that maybe this is a sign of Hunter Biden using classified documents from his dad to, I guess, sell that information in some sort of influence peddling scheme, I guess. And of course, Comer is hardly the only one with such concerns. Also concerned is Wisconsin's Republican Senator Ron Johnson, as explained to Maria Bartiroma on Fox Business just last week. Uh, what's very interesting is uh, the news reports now are, are highlighting an email that Hunter wrote to Devin Archer on April 13th, 2014. Uh, it reads, from my standpoint, uh, I've traveled overseas, and you get uh, what they call scene setters from the State Department. It reads like one of those scene setters. Uh-oh, that sounds bad. It reads like a classified scene setter uh, briefing from the State Department that Ron Johnson, since he travels overseas, he's gotten himself as a sitting senator. Not looking good for Hunter and Joe. And it's not just great minds like James Comer and Ron Johnson, but no less an authority on these things than Texas Senator Ted Cruz, who is, after all, an attorney, you know, and who apparently ha has his own podcast. In addition to being a senator, he's got a podcast that's called The Verdict with Ted Cruz. Well, here is his verdict on this mysterious, maybe classified document found on Hunter Biden's maybe laptop notebook. It's a 22 point substantive email. Now, Hunter Biden doesn't write 22 point substantive emails. Uh, this email reads as if it was cut and pasted from an official government briefing an official government briefing that one would infer his father had received. And it reads as if it could easily have come from a classified briefing. We don't know that. But the level of geopolitical and geostrategic analysis is the sort of analysis that is often in classified briefings. Mm, this that sounds... <laughs> Really bad. Why are you laughing? I'm sure you'll get it's, to that. It in a minute. sounds bad for poor Hunter and Joe and uh, Ted Cruz doesn't know for sure. Uh, so it's nice that he mentioned that. But uh, this email contains, uh, quote, the level of geopolitical and geostrategic analysis. That is the sort of analysis that is often offered in classified briefings. 
Now, the Washington Post fact checker Glenn Kessler took a look at what is supposed to be this 22 point email from Hunter Biden, which, you know, because Ted Cruz says Hunter Biden does not write 22 point emails. But it was found on what is supposed to be his laptop. And Kessler, the fact checker at the Post, took a look at it today, which, as he notes, a New York Post columnist had also recently flagged, which, by the way, should be a huge red flag right there alone that it comes from the New York Post. Yes. Uh, But it was supposedly discovered, this document, on Hunter Biden's oddly abandoned laptop, notebook, laptop, and and, and potentially uh, contains this classified information. Fox News and then politicians such as Johnson and Cruz and apparently James Comer, the chair of the House Oversight Committee, picked up on the claim, writes Kessler, as he details the emails dated April 13, 2014, a month before Hunter Biden was named to the board of the Ukrainian gas company Burisma back in 2014. Any offspring of a prominent politician, Kessler correctly points out, needs to be wary of even the appearance of a conflict of interest between his business interests and his parents' political position. And while that, of course, I will note, did not stop the Trump family, it is no better if Hunter does it either. Hunter Biden took on the Burisma job at the same time that his father, then vice president, was tasked as the top U.S. policymaker on Ukraine, an arrangement that troubled State Department officials at the time as a potential conflict of interest that undermined the administration's efforts to stem corruption in the country. So is that a concern? Yes, absolutely. Look into it all you like. By the way, while you're at it, Look into very similar situations with Don Jr. and Eric and Ivanka and Jared Kushner and, of course, Donald Trump himself, which James Comer made very clear that his House Oversight Committee would absolutely not be doing for reasons that he was unable to explain at least on Sunday. But uh, as, as to this potentially classified information on Hunter Biden's laptop, that looks suspiciously like a classified briefing that the State Department, uh, you know, that he must have gotten somehow obtained unlawfully from his father, as suggested by those Republicans. Well, Hunter Biden has had a checkered life, Kessler correctly notes, marked by substance abuse problems. But he's also a graduate of Georgetown University. Oh, and Yale Law School. One can presume he acquired some research skills at those institutions. He was also well-connected with contacts he could draw on for information. Kessler notes here that for nine years, uh, he himself, Kessler, was a diplomatic correspondent for The Washington Post. And uh, he notes, uh, quote, I've seen my share of backgrounders, State Department cables, and even the odd classified document. Far from being especially sophisticated, Hunter Biden's email appears to be largely the uh, product of diligent reading of recent newspapers and magazine articles. For instance, in one interview, Ron Johnson said a reference in the email uh, to potential new U.S. sanctions on Russia, quote, certainly might have been classified information. 
However, five days before this email in question was sent, then Secretary of State John Kerry, back in 2014, told the Senate Foreign Relations Committee in a public hearing that the U.S. might impose new economic sanctions on Russia because of its actions in Ukraine. So, in other words, anybody who was watching that hearing five days before would have understood the information that was in his email? So, he was either getting a secret classified documents or watching TV. <laughs> Kessler then goes through each of the 22 enumer enumerated uh, points in that email that contain facts, at least the ones that uh, have facts versus Hunter's opinions on any particular thing. Uh, any of these uh, points that might be the product of a classified briefing or something like that. And in each case, he finds news reports of the time in major media outlets saying pretty much exactly what Biden is noting in that email, as if to say, and this isn't a stretch in the slightest, that these yutzes on Fox News and at the New York Post and elsewhere and Comer and Cruz and Johnson really need to go out and read some real media outlets rather than listening only to their own echoes on, you know, fake outlets like Fox News. In fact, a number of the points that Kessler cites from Hunter Biden's emails are stuff that even I knew at the time, and I certainly don't have access to Joe Biden's classified documents. Yeah, but that's not that as interesting. That you know of, that's anyway. True. But that's still not yeah. as interesting to Republicans as the option of making it sound like something nefarious is going on. I'm not going to go through all the uh, 11 points, you're welcome, that uh, Kessler documents here, but just to give you a, a flavor of a few, since you are likely going to hear about this inane nonsense for months coming out of Republicans in Congress and from their fake propaganda outlets like Fox. So you understand in advance how they are lying to you about all of this. For the record, when it comes to the provenance of this actual email and if it's even you know Hunter Biden's at all in the first place, well, I'll get to that uh, in a bit here. But uh, The Washington Post in 2021 asked two security experts to examine 217 gigabytes of data obtained from a Republican activist said to be from Hunter Biden's laptop. And they found nearly 22,000 emails on it among those files that were carrying cryptographic signatures that could be verified using technology. Uh, that would be difficult, not impossible, but difficult for even the most sophisticated hackers to fake, according to these two security experts. So this email, as if to say those that there were 22,000 emails that absolutely were Hunter Biden's or almost certainly were Hunter Biden's. This email is actually not among those that were verified, but... Uh, its author wrote that he would uh, the author of this email wrote that he would travel to Houston tomorrow. And a 2020 letter by a Republican senator said that the Secret Service records had confirmed that, in fact, Hunter Biden traveled to Houston the very next day uh, that the email was sent. Anyway, that's well, more on the laptop itself in a moment. But for now, presuming this email is real, uh, for example, uh, point number one. 
Poroshenko appears to be the likely next president, determining our team's relationship with him is important. He is credible with the West and by all accounts a true reformer by Ukrainian standards, wrote Hunter Biden as point number one in this 22-point email. Well, two weeks earlier, on March 29, 2014, the New York Times reported, quote, after a leading contender dropped out of Ukraine's presidential race on Saturday, the hopes of many Ukrainians and their Western supporters are now riding on a man, Petro Poroshenko, known as the Willy Wonka of Ukraine, the billionaire owner of a chocolate candy company. Unverified emails on the laptop also show that Hunter Biden that same day communicated with former Senator Ted Kaufman, a longtime aide to Joe Biden, regarding Poroshenko's prospects. So the idea that he would know that the next president is likely to be Poroshenko, this is not some, uh, you know, ingenious inside secret information that you can only get from the State Department. It was there in, well, the newspaper. Point number two, some sort of decentralization will likely occur in the East. If it doesn't, the Russians will continue to escalate their destabilization campaign which could lead to a full-scale takeover of the eastern region, most critically Donetsk. The strategic value is to create a land bridge for Russia to Crimea. That's the second point in the email. Uh, and yet, just over a week earlier, the Washington Post reported, quote, The new Ukrainian government is working on changes to the Constitution that are expected to result in decentralization. The Guardian wrote a month before Hunter's email, uh, the UK Guardian, the uh, the Russian statement also hinted that Russian forces could intervene in eastern Ukraine to protect Russians there. The same justification used for sending troops to occupy key facilities in Crimea and Reuters also wrote that same month. Moscow has pledged to spend billions of dollars on everything from higher pensions to a bridge linking the region to Russia. So this goes on and on and on, point after point after point. Hunter Biden, presuming he is the one uh, making these points, if this email is authentic, he's making points that are on the public record, that were on the public record at the time that he wrote the email, as reported in the weeks before the date of the email from major mainstream media outlets. Uh, this all results in Kessler's headline on this article today, quote, laptop email suggests Hunter Biden read newspapers, not classified documents. The uh, the fact checker Kessler requested that uh, Cruz and Johnson provide some specific examples in the email that they believed uh, to be classified information that would not have been available on the public record by, you know, reading the paper or watching TV. Instead, he says, they issued statements saying they were simply asking questions. Quote from a statement from Cruz's office, Senator Cruz asked a legitimate question. How did Hunter compile that information? The email reads like he pasted information from a fact sheet. <laughs> Corinne Day, the uh, Johnson's Senator Johnson's deputy communications director, issued a lengthy statement calling the fact checker inquiry, quote, a prime example of the mainstream media providing cover for the Biden family. How dare you fact check us? 
Yeah, I mean, it sounds to me like the mainstream media providing independently verifiable and checkable information for the public's benefit so we know what is and isn't the truth, what is and isn't going on, which you would think would also be the job of, I don't know, U.S. senators and supposed congressional investigators like Johnson and Cruz and Comer. The Washington Post fact checker ends up awarding three Pinocchios to uh, Ted Cruz and Ron Johnson, uh, who he notes, quote, have not presented evidence to dispute our conclusions, adding the quote, if information emerges that changes our understanding of how this email was crafted, we will update this fact check. Well, good. So you got it. This is the kind of crap that you're going to need to be prepared for in the coming months. I am sorry to inform you. This crap from the GOP now that they control one branch of the U.S. Congress. Now, the better news is that Hunter Biden apparently is sick of this crap. And according to a number of outlets today, including Washington Post and CBS News and CNN, is finally pushing back. Rebecca Sager of Daily Coast pulls uh, together coverage from several outlets to note Hunter Biden's legal team is coming out swinging. Who knows what House Republicans were expecting, but President Joe Biden's son is not going quietly into the night as they plan their investigative attacks. The Washington Post reports that Biden's lawyers are on a letter sending campaign. Attorneys of uh, Biden's Hunter Biden's have now sent letters threatening a defamation suit. Mm. Uh oh. To Fox News and Tucker Carlson demanding they retract damaging statements it has made or else. They've sent letters to the IRS for some reason, letters to both state and federal prosecutors, as well as the Justice Department and the Delaware Attorney General, all demanding that those who gained access to and distributed data found on what is supposedly Hunter Biden's personal computer, that all of this be investigated. An unnamed source told CBS News, quote, this marks a new approach by Hunter Biden and his team. He is not going to sit quietly by as questionable characters continue to violate his rights and media organizations peddling in lies try to defame him. Biden's attorneys are asking for investigations into the Delaware computer repair shop owner, guy by the name of John Paul Mac Isaac, who has claimed that Hunter Biden dropped off the this notebook computer in question for repairs back in April of 2019, but then forgot he failed to return to pick up his computer. Uh, this guy, Isaac, says he waited the requisite 90 days and then he chose to turn over this computer to the FBI. As one does, I guess. A random, by the way, legally blind computer repairman turns an abandoned computer over to the FBI but also gives a copy of the information on it to the attorney of Rudy Giuliani, guy by the name of Robert Costello. Well, that sounds totally normal and not like an intelligence operation at all. Much of the information was then distributed from Costello and Giuliani to Republican operatives. Uh, I should say to other Republican operatives, frankly, who then spread it around to the New York Post. Hello, New York Post. During the 2020 election, 
in apparent hopes of discrediting Joe Biden. Totally normal. What a stroke of luck for the Republicans that Hunter Biden forgot to pick up his computer at the repair shop and all just before an election. In addition to uh, seeking an investigation into the computer repair shop owner, Hunter Biden's attorneys are seeking probes of Giuliani, Costello and Steve Bannon, quote, for whom there is considerable, considerable reason to believe violated various Delaware laws in accessing, copying, manipulating and or disseminating Mr. Biden's personal computer data, according to CBS News. According to Biden's attorney, Abby Lowell, the uh, slew of letters, quote, do not confirm Mac Isaacs or others versions of a so-called laptop. They address their conduct of seeking, manipulating and disseminating what they allege to be Mr. Biden's personal data wherever they claim to have gotten it. Hunter acknowledges that at least some of the data is indeed his, but says he did not drop off the laptop to the repair shop. Lowell writes, this failed, dirty political trick directly resulted in the exposure, exploitation and manipulation of Mr. Biden's private and personal information. Mr. Mac Isaac's intentional, reckless and unlawful conduct allowed for hundreds of gigabytes of Biden's personal data without any discretion to be circulated around the Internet. Now, remember, around the same time, Republican operatives, including James O'Keefe, uh, his operation called Project Veritas, well, they just happened to come into contact with a handwritten diary of Joe Biden's daughter. What a crazy coincidence. What are the odds? Perhaps we'll hit that story in more detail on another day as uh, O'Keefe and his operation could end up being in big trouble there for that one. The Washington Post reports that Joe Biden was hoping to handle the Hunter Biden matter more quietly, while Hunter Biden's legal team has chosen a more direct and aggressive position, including what frankly could turn into a Dominion voting system style defamation lawsuit against people like Tucker Carlson and Fox News. Hunter's attorneys are asking both state and federal officials, uh, 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 law enforcement agencies to investigate the legality of stealing information from the laptop, circulating it and even possibly making false statements to Congress about the information. The action described uh, described above uh, writes uh, the attorney more than merit a full investigation and depending on the resulting facts may merit prosecution under various statutes. According to CBS News, a spokesperson for Giuliani, who was given information from the laptop and then spread it far and wide, called the laptop, quote, abandoned property under John Mac Isaac's control. Well, we will see. We will see. In the meantime, I have been counseling you to not get freaked out about what Republicans in the House intend to do with all of their so-called investigations, that they are uh, much more likely to hurt themselves rather than their intended targets. And guess what? We've got some early evidence that I might have been right about that, uh, oh. some early evidence already today, and we're only about three weeks into this Congress. Carrie Elleveld also at Daily Coast uh, today reports several recent focus groups of independent voters in Texas, Virginia and Wisconsin suggest House Republicans are perfectly poised to dig their own graves 
in 2024 with this critical block of voters, the independent voters. The overwhelming vibe from these uh, groups, he notes, uh, these groups were uh, that were conducted on behalf of Navigator Research was confusion, dismay, and even anger from independent voters once they became aware of House GOP priorities in the upcoming Congress. What? You mean Republicans aren't taking action on crime and inflation and gas prices and the supply chain like they told us they were when we helped get them elected during the midterms? What? Generally speaking, independents in the groups expressed continued concern about the state of the country, describing it as, quote, sad and, quote, dismal. Initially, participations in the focus groups didn't have much of a handle on what House Republicans planned to do with their majority, though they were quite familiar with the speakership debacle and uh, electing Kevin McCarthy over 15 ballots and individual GOP members like Marjorie Taylor Greene and George Santos. But as the voters became more aware of House Republicans' agenda, their comments suggested they feel betrayed already by the GOP's plans. For example, in terms of GOP investigations, independents were somewhat open to examinations of U.S. trade practices with China, immigration at the southern border, and and wasteful spending. But after being shown a list of probes that are actually proposed by Republicans, participants in these groups viewed them as partisan warfare rather than serious efforts at conducting oversight. Worse yet, participants said the GOP investigation seemed entirely out of sync with the needs of everyday Americans. Who could have guessed it? So just some of the responses, for example, from several subject areas uh, in, in the focus groups conducted by Navigator on the specifically on the proposed GOP congressional inquiries. One Virginia participant offered, quote, this is all a get even list. It was Wisconsin independence said, quote, most of them to me just seemed like a tit for tat kind of thing. It's just kind of a revenge thing. A Texas independent voter observed, quote, I think it is wanting to get revenge. I don't think with the Republicans we have now, it's not about trying to get the economy back in shape, which they should be concentrating on. I believe it's revenge. Another Wisconsin independent in this focus group uh, said uh, specifically opining on the Hunter Biden laptop probe said, quote, I don't know how this improves the lives, uh, the life of the average American investigating Hunter Biden's laptop and his business dealings. They've been digging into this forever. I don't know how this would have any impact on us. Get it? And if, and if you think they they didn't care for these GOP investigations and they didn't, then they really didn't like the idea of cutting Social Security and Medicare as Republicans have threatened to do in exchange for voting to raise the debt ceiling so the nation's economy does not collapse with a default of the federal government for the first time in history. Uh, These independent voters from varying states were also apparently tired of the entire MAGA movement as a whole, with one from Virginia calling it, quote, blind loyalty and a cult. Another from Wisconsin did not want to go back to the Trump years and decried, quote, all of the last five-ish years and just the drama. So these folks, these uh, independents from these uh, various states, uh, do not seem to like at all 
what the Republicans are doing in the House. Once they find out about it. I think that this underscores the importance Mm -hmm. of what people hear on their public airwaves. These voters knew about the big stories. Oh, you know, the fight over the speaker. They know about George Santos because these get pretty much heavy coverage every single day. You can't help but find out about that. But they did not know about the House Republicans' actual agenda until it was shown to them. Right. Yeah. And that's really pathetic. That's really pathetic. Uh, Bottom line, uh, observes Elleveld, many independents view House Republicans as too self-obsessed to even contemplate doing anything meaningful for voters. That's a foundation, he argues, that Democrats can build on. The focus groups conducted about two weeks ago online include independents in Virginia who closely follow national politics, in theory, Wisconsin independents in the La Crosse-Eau Claire region who are less engaged with national politics, and in Tarrant County, Texas, with independents uh, with mixed levels of political engagement. Quick break, and we are back with, oh, just a little bit more of uh, tit-for-tat and revenge (laughs) in Congress today in the U.S. House. That story... Desi Doyne's Green News Report and our special programming announcement are all ahead on today's broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the broadcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. House Republicans on Thursday voted to oust Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, Democrat from Minnesota, from the Foreign Affairs Committee. This is the latest skirmish in a long-running partisan battle over committee assignments. The vote came on Thursday after a raucous debate with Republicans uh, citing what they described as Omar's anti-Israel comments, which she quickly apologized for about four years ago when she made them. Uh, This was a dramatic response to Democrats last session when they booted far right GOP lawmakers over incendiary and indeed violent and threatening remarks and graphic uh, violent videos for which they never apologized, at least to my knowledge. Speaker Kevin McCarthy initially had faced a handful of GOP defections who did not want to vote in favor of booting Omar from the Foreign Affairs Committee. But by Thursday, he and his team had whipped GOP members back in line and 218 out of 222 Republicans. That's the minimum needed to uh, for a majority vote uh, voted to back the resolution condemning Omar for past comments regarded as anti-Semitic and removing her from the uh, from the committee. That's 218 of the Republicans who have been pretending for years that they believe in free speech and that somehow their right to free speech is being taken away from them. 
So I guess the right thing to do is to not just condemn someone's speech, but actually take it away from them when it comes to their ability to represent their constituents on House committees. Democratic leader Hakeem Jeffries of New York said Omar uh, has at times, quote, made mistakes and used anti-Semitic tropes that were condemned by House Democrats four years ago. But that Thursday's vote was, quote, about political revenge. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she went further, Democrat from New York, she went further referring to the September 11, 2001 attack as she called the GOP's action part of one of the, quote, disgusting legacies after 9-11, the targeting and racism against Muslim Americans throughout the U.S., and this is an extension of that legacy, she said, adding this is about targeting women of color. Some Republicans justify their vote by arguing that Omar's ouster represents a tit-for-tat response, as Republicans see it, for Democrats removing two Republican members from committee uh, from committees two years ago. This began back in February of 2021 when House Democrats and 11 Republicans voted to boot far-right Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, a Republican from Georgia, from two committees because of her past social media posts that spread racist and anti-Semitic conspiracy theories and threatened violence against Pelosi and Barack Obama, Nancy Pelosi and Barack Obama. In one case, Green had liked a comment from one of her followers on social media who had called for shooting Nancy Pelosi in the head. Months later, uh, Democrats also moved to censure and oust Paul Gosar of Arizona from his two committee assignments after he tweeted an animated video depicting him cutting off the head of Ocasio-Cortez and attacking President Joe Biden with a ninja sword. Amid the criticism and uh, a rare vote of censure by the House against him at the time, Gosar deleted the tweet, but then he retweeted that video shortly after he was censured. Now compare that to Omar's response that the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee, or APAC, funds members of Congress in exchange for their support of Israel, which is true. But Omar is a Somali refugee who escaped to the U.S. as a child during uh, the civil war in her country and then made history as one of the first two Muslim American women elected to Congress. All 211 House Democrats unified behind her on Thursday, voting against her ouster from the Foreign Affairs Committee after she offered an emotional and defiant floor speech standing next to a photo of herself as a nine-year-old, which left many of her colleagues in tears. Here are some of those remarks. This debate today, it's about who gets to be an American. Is anyone surprised that I am being targeted? Is anyone surprised that I am somehow deemed unworthy to speak about American foreign policy? Or that they see me as a powerful voice that needs to be silenced. Frankly, it is expected, because when you push power, power pushes back. Representation matters. Continuing to expand our ideas of who is American and who can partake in the American experience, experiment is a good thing. 
I am an American. An American who was sent here. An American who was sent here by her constituents to represent them in Congress. A refugee who survived the horrors of a civil war. Someone who spent her childhood in a refugee camp. I will continue to speak up because representation matters. I will continue to speak up for little kids who wonder who's speaking up for them. I will continue to speak up for families around the world who are seeking justice. Whether they are displaced in refugee camps or they are hiding under their beds somewhere like I was, waiting for the bullets to stop. Because this child survivor of war would have wanted that. The nine-year-old me would be disappointed if I didn't talk about the victims of conflict. Those that are experiencing unjust wars, atrocities, ethnic cleansing, occupation, or displacement like I did. They are looking to the international community and the United States, asking for help. They look to us because the international community and the United States profess the values of protecting human rights and upholding international law. So we owe it to them not to make this a myth, but a reality. I didn't come to Congress to be silent. I came to Congress to be their voice. And my leadership and voice will not be diminished if I am not on this committee for one term. My voice will get louder and stronger, and my leadership will be celebrated around the world as it has been. So take your vote or not, I am here to stay, and I am here to be a voice against harms around the world and advocate for a better world. I yield back. Congresswoman Elon Omar, Democrat from Minnesota on the House floor. You go, Thursday. girl. Yeah. Green News Report uh, and an important program announcing uh, program announcement is next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. The broadcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. I realize uh, weather is not climate, and climate is not weather necessarily, but it is a terrible, freezing, cold uh, couple of days uh, around a lot of the country. Oh, yes. And it's going to continue, as I understand, for a few more days. So be uh, be careful out there, wherever you are. Yes, please. In the uh, dregs of February. 
wherever you may be. Let's get to it. Our latest Green News Report. It is the biggest annual profit for any U.S. or European oil company ever. Big Oil posts all-time high record profits. Biden hits the road to promote infrastructure upgrades. Plus, no company will ever be able to stick a mine on top of some of the best salmon habitat in the world. EPA vetoes the controversial proposed pebble mine in Alaska. For real this time? For real this time. All of those stories and we'll see all of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. What's Exxon doing with all of that money? Well, a lot of it is going back to shareholders. And that means big paydays for investment firms and for executives. But, you know, it's it's not just Wall Street. Exxon is a very popular stock for retirement accounts. Well, they certainly do sound excited about those record profits over there at NPR. Guess they don't call them National Petroleum Radio for nothing. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I know it's stunning to hear about the record profits at the big oil companies, but first, let's take a look at some of the damage they're causing, shall we? Yes, a grim assessment. The people of Earth saw 42 weather disasters in 2022 that caused more than a billion dollars in damage each. That is according to a new analysis by global insurance company Gallagher Re. Those $42 billion weather disasters included three mega disasters disasters, costing more than $20 billion each in 2022. Hurricane Ian in the U.S. and drought in the U.S. and Europe. Mm. Plus, a record heat wave killed more than 40,000 people across Mm. Europe. The total damage wrought globally by weather disasters in 2022 was $360 billion. The researchers found the fingerprints of climate change on virtually every major disaster. Yeah, but did you hear? ExxonMobil had their largest profits ever. Yep, oil giant ExxonMobil posted record annual profits for 2022, even as Americans struggled to afford gasoline, home heating, food, and consumer goods. Exxon alone made $56 billion in net profit in 2022. That's more than $6 million an hour, an all-time high, not just for the company, but for the entire Western oil industry, thanks to Russia's war on Ukraine straining fossil energy supplies. So, so when the prices for gas went through the roof over the past year, it wasn't because they were having difficulty finding supply. It was because they were increasing their prices to get to these record profits. Exactly. In a press conference, Democratic Senator Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island highlighted his bill to levy a windfall profit tax on oil companies like the European Union has done. And Whitehouse called out the oil industry's propaganda campaign that falsely blamed the Biden administration for high energy prices (laughs) while the industry was gleefully taking advantage of war profiteering and price gouging. And Senator Whitehouse added this. When you're looking at how to fund the $11 billion international loss and damage pledge that Joe Biden made, you might want to think about the $200 billion that the fossil fuel industry just extracted in excess profits. 
They are not stepping up to make good in international loss and damage for the harm that they cause. They have to be held accountable. Did you think they'd step up, Senator Whitehouse? Did you really? In other news, President Biden was on the road this week to highlight long-awaited infrastructure repairs and upgrades thanks to the bipartisan infrastructure law. On Monday in Baltimore, he announced the expansion of a 150-year-old rail tunnel that was damaged by extreme flooding during Hurricane Sandy, which will create 20,000 construction jobs and reduce car traffic and air pollution. Biden also traveled to New York to announce $300 million in funding to complete the first phase of the Hudson River Tunnel Project, which was abandoned mid-construction by the Trump administration. And finally, over the past week, we've reported on the Biden administration protecting Alaska's Tongass National Forest from logging mm-hmm. and the pristine watershed of Minnesota's Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness from mining pollution. Now, the Biden Environmental Protection Agency has effectively vetoed the controversial proposed pebble mine in Alaska. Using a rare authority under the Clean Water Act, the agency banned the dumping of mine waste in the watershed of Alaska's Bristol Bay, concluding it would permanently destroy a hundred miles of streams and wetlands and pose an unacceptable threat to the world's most prolific salmon fishery. It is a huge victory for Native American tribes and Alaska's sustainable billion-dollar commercial fishing and outdoor recreation industries. As one tribal advocate said, quote, you can have a mine for 50 years or salmon for a thousand years. You cannot have both. Very good news. Up north. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. And I felt like a loser, but I turned out the winner when I came to Alaska, the land that I love. You know, uh, it is really, really good news up in Alaska. We know folks who have been fighting that good battle for, boy, it seems like a decade or, or more. Or more it, up it definitely there. is. And this is so rare for the EPA to veto it. It has only happened three times in the agency's history before this. And how awful this was, this, there's so much about this mine that was so yep. wrong. But yep. the worst part of it to me was the idea that they were going to build a mine tailings pond for yep. the, uh, the, the mine tailings waste. Mm -hmm. that was going to be high up and could uh, in earthquake country (laughs) and was supposed to last in perpetuity. Which would then, of course, collapse, poison everything, everybody, all the salmon forever and ever. Yeah. Uh, One of the worst things to me is that it takes so long and you have to fight so hard to get the simple right thing that everyone knew was right from the jump. Yep. Uh, So congratulations to our friends up in Alaska who have fought so long and so hard for that uh, well-won victory. Let's hope it holds. Yes, please. Okay, as to that promised uh, program note that we've been uh, that we mentioned at the top of the show, when we started the daily version of the broadcast back in 2015, the, well, the plan we had been doing a weekly show for many many years, and the plan at that point was to do a daily show up to and through the end of the 2016 election. That was it. Then we were either going to I don't know quit altogether, go back to a weekly show or whatever, right. but. Then we got through the 2016 election, and as you may remember, it had a big surprise ending. (laughs) 
so to speak, yes. So it's not a surprise to broadcast listeners because no. we had warned people that Donald Trump might end up winning. But when that happened, we thought, you know what, maybe we better stick with this thing for a while and keep going. Now, don't worry. We're not going anywhere. We're not quitting this thing. We're sticking with it. And no, we're not dropping back to one day a week. However... For various reasons, uh, you know, due to uh, health concerns, uh, mental, physical, emotional, everything <laughs> else, no emergencies, don't worry. Uh, but for that reason and for the fact that we just need to catch up with a whole bunch of stuff that we have not been able to do since going to a daily show, we are going to, for a while, maybe permanently, I don't know, but for a while, go to four days a week from Monday through Thursday with a fantastic uh, encore played on Fridays for you, a best of. Now, uh, we would love to have uh, Nicole Sandler sit in for us on Fridays if possible, but she has been wildly crazy busy right now. She's getting ready to move across the country. So her uh, schedule just does not allow. It doesn't it right allow. Now. So for right now, I just don't want people to panic when we're not there on Fridays. Right. We just have some stuff we got to take care of. We're okay, but we still got to do these things. So that means that we're going to be with you four days a week, and then a fantastic rerun for you on Fridays, at least for the for the near future. And by the way, there is still the possibility that we could come back if there's really really huge news where we're really needed on uh, on a Friday. We could come back uh, potentially to do that. Although at this point, I would say if you hear us showing up live for a Friday show, it's probably it's bad. Probably news. not a good thing. Yeah. So uh, anyway, just wanted to mention that. Didn't want anyone to worry about us, and uh, we are fine. But we're uh, uh, need to take care of some things for a while. In any event. All right. Uh, all right. That's it. Thank you very much yep. to our producer, Desi Doyne, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or you just want to hear it again or share it with someone or send it to someone you hate, you can always download them all for free at bradblog.com. There is no paywall there. That's thanks to folks like you who have supported our work for all of these years as we are now in our 20th year of broadcasting, blogging, troublemaking, and muckraking at bradblog.com. So when you stop by, hit one of them donate buttons. It would be greatly appreciated. You can also drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. You can also find me on the social medias. That would be Facebook, Twitter, and Mastodon at The Brad Blog. We will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs>